Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 2nd of May 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Derrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott and uh, Katie Joe. Uh, we're being attacked by Russian raindrops today, uh, Brian, <laughs> uh, just, just prior yeah. to the start of the programme. So here we go. Uh, let's see. Boris, of course, um, he was speaking, speaking once again, uh, just before the weekend, to President Zelensky. Uh, and this is what he tweeted out. I spoke to President Zelensky er earlier to set out how the UK will continue to provide military and humanitarian aid to give Ukrainians the equipment they need to defend themselves. I'm more committed than ever to reinforcing Ukraine and ensuring Putin fails. Is Putin failing? He is not failing. No, it's very clear that the Russians are making steady progress. But of course, we're not getting any reports about what's actually happening on the ground. We're not uh, being told about... Uh, the, uh, the effects of the Russian shelling on the U Ukrainian forces, all their withdrawals in certain areas. Uh, indeed. So what are we going to do about it? Well, apparently uh, both the UK and the US uh, about to send uh, heavier weaponry uh, because that's how you make peace with people is to send heavier weapons. Um, so let's just look at stars and stripes here. Uh, and this is uh, Western artillery surging into Ukraine will reshape the war on Russia, analysts say. So they're saying that uh, this is setting off a bloody battle of wits backed by long range weapons and forcing both sides to grow more nimble if they hope to avoid significant fatalities as fighting intensifies in the east. And this is according to uh, U.S. officials and military analysts. Uh, the defense secretary from the U.S. Lloyd Austin was speaking uh, alongside his Canadian counterpart at the Pentagon uh, at the end of last week, uh, saying that long range uh, fires will provide will prove decisive in the next phase of the war. So there's going to be a next phase of the war, as, as we already know from Ben Wallace, of course. Uh, and the United States has promised Zelensky 190,000 artillery rounds, 90 howitzers to fire them. Uh, and then uh, more than half have already arrived in Ukraine. But they're also talking about sending uh, high mobility artillery rocket systems known as HIMARS. Uh, that's used by the US Army and the Marine Corps. Uh, and they launch rounds quickly, according to Stars and Stripe, which is useful. Uh, in firing on enemy artillery forces before they can reposition. Um, well, where did the uh, the pressure from this come from? Perhaps we get a clue from uh, from this. This was Rusi uh, two or three weeks ago. Now, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine reappraising uh, UK defence priorities. Uh, and this was uh, uh, Tobias Elwood, uh, who, of course, is a backbench MP. Uh, but more importantly, he is the uh, chairman of the Defence Select Committee and therefore uh, is responsible for holding uh, the Department of the Ministry of Defence and Ben Wallace to account, allegedly. Um, but let's uh, let's just have a quick look at uh, a part of what he had to say in his presentation to Rusi. We are far from exhibiting the scale of statecraft that was on display during the Cold War, that we learned during the Cold War. The art of understanding, assessing and taking calculated collective risk without, without fear of losing control of that escalatory ladder. We are doing enough in my mind to prevent Ukraine from losing, but not enough to ensure that they win. And these debates over whether to dispatch Polish MiG planes is just one prime example of this. I'm really pleased to see that some nations are actually breaking away, including Britain, from NATO's collective hesitance. All credit to the Defence Secretary um, for doing more from Britain, Britain's perspective, both before the invasion with those critical end laws that would have been invaluable to the Ukrainian forces, 
And now I understand today we're looking at gifting Mastiffs, other armored personnel vehicles as well. But we're doing this outside of the umbrella of NATO. And if that's the case, exactly that's what we should do. Create a coalition of, of the willing. And I stress this because time is running out. So you said it, time is running out, and that, that is recognition that actually the Ukrainians are now starting to crumble. And uh, the talk about the weapons, Mike, it's too few um, to make a difference in the fighting. How are they going to get them to the front? Because the Russians are destroying the bridges and infrastructure, but also they're destroying the munis munitions dumps with long-range weapons. And... Uh, uh, Ultimately, the, the weapon systems that the West are putting in require the Ukrainians to be trained. And these are not systems that you can be trained on in a few days. So uh, well, it's a mess. OK, well, we'll come on to that in a second. But David, uh, welcome to the programme. I uh, wonder what your thoughts are on that. What are your thoughts about Britain uh, going ahead outside of the, uh, the, the framework of NATO uh, and just doing whatever it likes? I thought this was astonishing. This is Tobias Elwood, right? This, this, this is the man who has been telling us not only that our future lies within NATO and collective security, which has now been termed collective hesitance, um, uh, but he was the man telling us that things like tanks and artillery, th these are old-fashioned. These are things of the past. The new warfare is going to be uh, economics and influence and, um, uh, and uh, you know, information technology and, and ideas well, we'll now realise that actually what matters is, is heavy artillery, uh, its range uh, and its, its uh, effective use, just like it has been since 1914. That seems to have caught him by surprise. I do like the point, though, that we are now, we've gone from being, uh, we have a problem with the vaccine hesitant, we now have a problem with the artillery hesitant. I thought that was quite a memorable little moment from Mr. Mr. Elwood. Um, yes, indeed. Well, look, let's just remind ourselves uh, who Tobias Elwood is. Here he is. And uh, well, the question is, is he wearing uh, Zelensky's T-shirt or is Zelensky wearing his T-shirt? It's hard to know. Yeah, I, I'm going to be ruthless here and say you look at this photograph. But remember, of course, this man's an amateur. If he was a professional, he would be doing the military job full time. But he's not. He's playing at it. Uh, well, OK, but uh, this was uh, the photograph that he pushed out with the tweet. Uh, when he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel as a reservist in seventy seven yeah. brigade. Um, so, uh, you know, he's very keen on making sure the narrative is correct, apart from anything else. Um, so let's uh, move on then. And uh, well, we're talking about training. And of course, last week we, we uh, uh, reported the acknowledgement from the UK government that they have been training Ukrainian troops. Uh, the United States, of course, have admitted that they've been training Ukrainian troops in Germany. Uh, and now we have Canada. Uh, and so this is uh, Canadian media here, mounting evidence, Canada trained Ukrainian extremists. The government needs to be held to account, according to experts. Uh, and they'll just take one quote from this. Uh, it's, it says, uh, the federal government has spent more than $890 million, you, uh, can you take it, that's Canadian dollars, uh, training Ukrainian forces through Operation Unifor, uh, and has repeatedly stressed that it has not and will not ever train soldiers affiliated with Azov. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, a recent investigation by Radio Canada into documents related to Canada's mission in Ukraine found evidence of soldiers from the Azov Regiment, identified by patches on their clothing and other insignias, have participated in training with Canadian Armed Forces, 
as recently as 2020 in the Western-backed uh, Zolichev uh, Training Center in Western Ukraine. So there we go. Uh, it doesn't get any better, does it? It doesn't get any better, but uh, as I, I'm going to be stating a little bit later, experts talking about is all of this material going to make an effect, uh, make a difference to the Ukrainians? And the answer is no, it's not. No. OK, well, look, uh, the British government was uh, pushing out this little piece of video this morning. New research, they say, shows how the Kremlin is using a troll factory to spread disinformation and to spread lies on social media, no less, and in comment sections on popular websites. UK-funded expert research has exposed how the Kremlin is using this troll factory. They haven't said who this expert research was carried out by, but it was funded by the UK government. Uh, the cyber soldiers are ruthlessly targeting politicians and audiences across a number of countries, including the UK, South Africa and India. The research exposes how the Kremlin's large-scale disinformation campaign is designed to manipulate international public opinion of Russia's legitimate war in Ukraine. Sorry, illegitimate war in Ukraine. Uh, I misread that. Uh, trying to uh, grow support for their abhorrent war and recruiting new Putin sympathizers. Sick masterminds of the operation are believed to be working overtly from an old factory in St. Petersburg uh, with paid employees uh, and internal working teams. Okay, so that's what the UK government was pushing out this morning. Uh, and this is what Liz Truss had to say about it. We cannot allow the Kremlin and its shitty troll farms to invade our online spaces with their lies about Putin's illegal war. The UK government has alerted international partners uh, and will continue to work closely with allies and media platforms to undermine Russian information operations. So the problem is Russian information uh, operations. But I'm going to say that we have been at the UK column highlighting what the British information operations have been for quite a long time now. Uh, and uh, this is part of it. This is the integrated operating concept. The central idea of the integrated operating concept is offensive rather than defensive. And the Ministry of Defense has made it clear uh, that information is a very key part of this. Um, and the central idea of the integrated operating concept is to drive the conditions and tempo of strategic activity rather than responding to the actions of others. Uh, and uh, it is all about information uh, and countering so-called disinformation, which the government defines. We'll come on to that definition uh, in a moment. That uh, integrated operating concept became part of uh, defense uh, strategy, I suppose, what was it, uh, the end of 2019. Uh, uh, but early, much earlier than that, of course, uh, the UK column highlighted the fact that Andy Price, the head of counter disinformation and media development uh, at the Foreign Commonwealth Office, uh, was busy defining what disinformation was, the deliberate creation and dissemination of false and or manipulated information that's intended to deceive and mislead audiences. Um, and of course, this is exactly what the Foreign Office has been doing uh, in uh, countries outside of the UK to deal with the sustained Russian disinformation campaign that they had identified many, many years ago. Uh, £100 million over five years to counter disinformation in the Eastern neighborhood is what they said. Uh, and that includes projects in the Baltic states, Ukraine, as well as pan-regional initiatives. Uh, and of course, they are working alongside the usual suspects of British soft power, including the uh, British Council and others. Uh, and just so that we understand where the money has been coming from this, I realize the text is very, very small in this, but this is the um, uh, counter, disinfor counter disinformation and media development program uh, being funded 
uh, via the CSSF, which is uh, the, uh, well, let's have a look at this. BBC Media Action, of course, also being funded uh, by the CSSF. Um, and let's uh, look at the amount of money here, 90 million pounds in this case for, their, for one particular project in Ukraine. Uh, but this is a conflict stability and security fund. Uh, which, of course, so much money was pumped into Syria as well under that particular umbrella. Um, we must also remember one other particular project uh, of the Counter Disinformation and Media Development Programme, uh, and that was uh, the Integrity Initiative, which, of course, was all about uh, Russia and how nasty Russia is. And we've been being bombarded with this narrative for so many years now. But just so that we understand that the claim is that the Russians have set up uh, based in a factory in St. Petersburg, a troll farm uh, to push out disinformation on social media and so on. Let's just look at the current state of the UK's propaganda network. So on the left-hand side of this little graphic, we have the National Security Council, which is in control of the various intelligence services. And on the right-hand side, we have the Cabinet Office. And these are the uh, departments and organizations that are part of the government propaganda network in this country. Uh, for pushing out disinformation. That includes the Rapid Response Unit, the National Security Communications Team, 77th Brigade, 13th Signals, the Department of uh, Cult Digital Culture, Media and Sport Fake News Unit, HUT 18, the Freedom of Information uh, Clearinghouse, and the Counter Disinfo and Media Development Program. Uh, but that has been apparently renamed. It, I'm not sure yet whether it is the same uh, organization, and we may not. Uh, actually ever be told because that is secret, but they have now set up what they're describing as a government information cell. So the UK has created a government information cell to counter Rus Russian disinformation made up of experts from across the UK government. The cell is, uh, is uh, focused on identifying and assessing Russian disinformation both and both advising on and delivering output to expose the challenge of Kremlin lies. So, um, David, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but when we look at this diagram and the number of separate units that are already set up by this government uh, to what to counter uh, to counter counter government narratives, um, to be accusing the Russians of anything at this point, there's got to be rank hypocrisy. As this is the the consistent Western line. It's okay when we do it. Uh, and this was exposed um, back in 2020 by the astute um, group of political analysts called Mumsnet, who wrote uh, a post, Army Troll Factory, they even used the same word, Army Troll Factory 77th Brigade. Um, so this means that the army has now been used politically and has been since 2015. As Mumsnet is one of the largest forums in the UK, you'd have to be a bit naive not to realise that they operate here. They're basically paid and uh, uh, uniformed internet trolls who defame and contradict anything that doesn't conform to the government's line. Um, no one seems to know how many people operate as part of 77th Brigade, but Carter mentioned up to 20,000 were available. So Mumsnet were quite well informed, and they're calling it an army of internet trolls. Um, a troll factory. So this is exactly what the Russians now seem to be doing. Is it possible that they got the idea by um, looking at Mumsnet or indeed at everything <laughs> the British government was doing and deciding well, to do likewise? I think it's possible. It is possible, but of course it's also possible that the British government is just simply lying about what the Russians are doing. 
uh, and uh, or at least at the very least misrepresenting it. But anyway, we don't know the answer to that, but we'll keep everybody informed as we find out. Uh, and we're certainly going to keep digging. Well, you, you've gone into the detail there, Mike. Um, let's pull out a bit and have a look at some of the uh, broader aspects. This is a recap of what we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago, but let's have a look at what we called then the UK stealth attack on Ukraine. Uh, of course, bring in BBC media action straight away. But of course, what is it? It's soft power. And what's the objective behavioural change of Ukrainian society so that the Ukrainians will do as the British states, British and American states wish? Uh, we've got the Department for International Development, soft power again, gifts, money and trinkets. Uh, we've got the uh, government UK programme of assistance to Ukraine. So this is bringing in conditional banking loans. So that's ultimately to capture Ukraine by dragging it into controlled debt. Uh, we've got the EU solidarity programme with Ukraine. This is the EU's military expansion towards southeastern Europe. And uh, lastly, of course, we're bringing in the billions of pounds worth of munitions and weapons um, for the slaughter. And the people that are going to be slaughtered are not the Russians because they're capable of defending against these weapons. Uh, the victims are going to be the ordinary people in Ukraine. And we should never forget that, that the people dying at the moment and who are going to die in increasing numbers are the Ukrainians, not the Russians. Uh, thanks to all of this uh, despicable help from the US and the UK. Well, if we have a little look at uh, uh, the other organizations we've talked about, of course, we said watch the BBC because they're in bed with the Institute for the Study of War. So presumably if we get rid of wars, this lot are gonna be out of business, Mike. So they're going to, I would imagine, root for war. Uh, we talked about the American Enterprise Institute, the BBC also in bed with them. And our research showed that if we followed around a little circuit of people, uh, we came to organize, come to organizations like the Project for a New American Century. This is how to uh, um, spread American power into uh, the future. And of course, we then come very quickly to very powerful people like Victoria J. Newland, who's the lady widely accredited with achieving the regime change in uh, in Ukraine itself. And we're bringing BBC media action back in to remind people that funders of that organization include the US State Department, the British government, also Bill and Melinda Gates, as well as uh, German and Swedish organizations. So here's the poor Ukrainians. They understand nothing of this. All of these people manipulating to create that war in, in Ukraine. And uh, if we come in at a slightly different angle, of course, we've got to have the two major powers who are doing the stirring uh, in Ukraine, uh, Britain and the US. Uh, well, the comedian at the center is Zelensky. Uh, we talked about his game. Zelensky says, what is it? It's a multi-million propaganda game involving multiple millions of people who are sucked in. Uh, the Ukrainians, uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian media is, of course, uh, now totally controlled by the British through media action and the BBC. Uh, but money and know-how has also come in from Germany, DW Academy, and also money from the EU. So let's bring in uh, Victoria Newland again. 
And let's remember that not only is she uh, connected via Ukrainian family to Ukraine, but this is the woman who manipulated politics behind the scenes for the, uh, for the regime change. And uh, now we've got this lady that Patrick covered so well on Friday, Nina Yankovitz, uh, and uh, she was a former advisor to the Ukrainian Foreign Ministry, uh, but now she's been made Executive Director of the Department for Homeland Security uh, and their Disinformation Governance Board. So it's pretty clear to see that around Ukraine, we've got this massive control by all these government agencies. And if you want to check on some of this, there's a very good article from Truth Out, the Ukraine mess that Newland made. And what does it talk about? Well, let's have a look at one paragraph. It says, so for nearly a year and a half, the West mainstream media, especially the New York Times and the Washington Post, twisted their reporting into all kinds of contortions to avoid telling their readers that the new regime in Kiev was permeated by and dependent on neo-Nazi fighters and Ukrainian ultra-nationalists who wanted a pure-blood Ukraine without, quote, ethnic Russians. So that's pretty clear, Mike, as to what was going on in the background. But let's see how the propaganda pushes out. Maps have been a key part of this. So this was a map from the uh, 20th of March 2022 from UK's Defence Intelligence. And the narrative around these maps were always that the Russians were failing around Kiev. Uh, they were disorganised. They couldn't cope with muddy roads. Morale was low, etc. Everything was uh, pulling the Russians down with almost no comment on the Russians' main areas of interest, which were over in the south, south and eastern sectors of the country. So if we have a look at another map here, more or less showing the same thing. It's about the same date. Uh, this is the sort of BBC headline, Russia forced to merge depleted units in eastern Ukraine. So you would understand from that headline that the Russians were beginning to fall, fall apart but nothing could be further from the truth. But if we start to look at up-to-date maps now, thanks to uh, Moon of Alabama for this one, uh, we can see that what the Russians have been achieving in a very cold, steady fashion is major consolidation of the ground they've always wanted in the east and the south. And it's in the eastern Donbass battle zone that we've now got the Ukrainians retreating and what is driving them back is the massive Russian shelling, which is also causing the casualties amongst the Ukrainians. But we're not going to hear anything about that on the BBC. So we'd like to say if you want to look for good sources of information as to what's hap actually happening on the ground, you might go to Scott Ritter, who's the uh, former US uh, 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 gentleman who has simply said, the Ukrainians are losing and that is going to accelerate because the Russians' military policy is correct and they have the weapons. Have a look at Alexander Mercurius, who's giving an excellent daily analysis. Uh, this is Moon of Alabama that has got some really detailed and excellent information on the, the war itself. And I'd also like to bring Patrick Lancaster on, which many people are picking up on this man. Uh, because he's been on the ground for many days in Mariupol. But we've got a couple of clips here where he's talking about what he's seen in the Donbass. Let's have a look at the first clip. 
So we're just coming, I'm Patrick Lancaster and I am back in Dunbas. We were just on our way back from Mariupol and we again came across uh, Yelenivka when it is under fire. This is something that has been happening almost uh, uh, constantly for many years, but now it's picking up pace. Uh, Ukraine is launching attacks on this village of Yelenivka. Um, and we can see here, this happened just not even minutes ago. We've heard a total of two incomings, and there was one just, what, as they said a few minutes ago, that hit here. Now we can see this impact on this residential home. We can see all the damage here. This dog was just killed by the explosion. люди с ними нельзя жить с ними надо только их надо только с ними бороться я не знаю что с ними now I'm here I'm back and it's time to show you exactly what is happening on the ground at Dunbas and we're gonna bring you all the breaking news stories people on the ground so please like subscribe and share we're out of here there's a lot more to come there's some my work is totally crowdfunded so there's no messing around with that. He's on the ground in, in, the, in the full video clip. We've only taken some excerpts there. You can hear the rounds coming in. You can hear the shrapnel coming down around him and you can see the damage done. And the point that he's making is this is arbitrary Ukrainian shelling of villages that don't have any military significance. And let's reinforce that statement by having a look at the second clip uh, where he meets up and goes down into a bunker uh, to sp speak briefly with a, with a uh, Ukrainian family. And what a difference with the comments to what we're being given by the BBC propaganda in the United Kingdom. обстановка. Ага. 
Что, если вы могу сказать Злоницкий или Путин, что вас могу сказать он? Что я могу сказать Путин? Или Злоницкий. А, Зеленскому. Я ничего не хочу никому желать, ничего не хочу никому говорить. Козел он конченый. Не хочу я. Мы хотим жить в мире. Я просто прошу у всех, у Бога, прошу мира и все. Ничего не So there we've got a family uh, forced to take their children down. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Are we okay? Yeah, yeah. We've got a family forced to take their uh, young children down into a basement for protection from arbitrary Ukrainian shelling. Uh, but what is the, the lady saying? She's saying this has been going on for eight years. But of course, none of this, none of it has been reported in Western media and certainly not by the uh, BBC. So we're going to say well done again to Patrick Lancaster for being there on the ground while rounds are falling to make these reports. Let's look at how the BBC has twisted uh, what's going on. So here's BBC headline, Ukraine war, families hide in cellars as Russian, Russia targets the Donbass region. So uh, David, you're smiling, but uh, the state of the propaganda in UK has now reached a proportion it's difficult to describe. Well, this is this is back to the land of gobbles. I mean, this is uh, accuse your enemies of that which you are guilty. Is it not? It is. And that's exactly what they do. Indeed. And speaking of which, that's a brilliant segue, uh, David, because here's Dominic Lawson in the mail. Uh, and the headline is Russia is a state built on lies. So how could anyone agree a peace deal with it? So basically Lawson's position here. Uh, MP, of course, uh, is that uh, we should not be making a peace deal with Russia. We should continue to be at war with Russia uh, because it is a state built on lies. And so I just wanted to remind everybody, as if anybody needed reminding, of course, uh, eight in 10 Britons say Boris Johnson lied about lockdown parties. Uh, but did he lie because the spectator thinks he didn't lie? But either way, there's a lie in this because either uh, politics in the UK has become a complete lie over Partygate because he's telling the truth or he was lying. It makes no difference. Uh, Matt Hancock, of course, only committed a minor breach of the ministerial code, but he didn't lie. Uh, and uh, the Guardian here, Matt Hancock, acted unlawfully by failing to publish COVID uh, contracts, but that's not lying by omission at all. Uh, so he didn't lie there either. Uh, and of course, it's no better on the Labour Party side because uh, here's the latest headline in the mail shows the proofs are clear. MPs demand evidence that Labour leader did not break COVID rules over beer gate. So Labour Party know better and neither is Angela Rayner, who was uh, all upset about uh, claims that she made comments about crossing her legs in front of uh, uh, Boris Johnson. And it, then it turns out that she seems to have made those statements, even though she denied it. So she went on to national television at the weekend uh, and lied. Uh, that she had, uh, uh, right? So, so there, are, David, if there is a nation in this world which is built on lies, I'm talking about in the sense of the modern nation, it is this one because uh, our government is just lying constantly. Constantly, and, and it's across the whole West. Uh, the West, I mean, the whole idea of, of, of postmodernism is there's no such thing as truth. Uh, you don't have truth, you have power. And you use words not to describe reality, but to create reality, to gain power. And that, that has permeated the West. 
That is what the West now is. Um, they are admittedly, and almost they almost celebrate being dedicated to lies. They are the people of the lie. Um, and this is what rules us now. It is indeed. Right. Now, if you uh, like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options for you to help us out there, and that would be very much appreciated. Or you could pick something up at the UK Column shop, which is shop.ukcolumn.org. Uh, but in any case, uh, if you do see our material on the various platforms, please go ahead and share that. Uh, now, can I welcome uh, Katie Joe onto the program? And uh, we've got a couple of advertisements here, Katie. We have. We've got a few brilliant events to um, talk about. Uh, there is a play called Tuvac or Novak? That is the question. It's the latest production from the Random Theatre Company, Random Water Theatre Company. They have produced four plays over the last eight years at the excellent and intimate uh, London fringe venue, the Etc. Theatre, all receiving rave reviews. Uh, their fifth play, Tuvac or Novak? That is the question. It's a play that deals with many issues. Uh, the breakdown of relationships during lockdown, the vaccine debate, uh, the WHO, the pharmaceutical industry, the WEF, PCR tests, transhumanism, robotics, and much, much more. It says, as well as random orders, usual high standard of acting on stage, you will also be treated to some highly interesting contributions on screen. And amongst those, we have UK Column's very own Debbie Evans. Um, she's listed in the uh, in the shop before. Um, she's there between nestled between Pat Cash and Ted Ross. Um, I think the play looks fantastic, and I'm hoping to make the very last show on Sunday, the eighth of May. If you live near London or you're free this week and you're planning to visit London, then please, please go and support the this theatre company and the actors and the etc. Theatre. Uh, the other event that is happening. Oh, did you want yes, to go ahead. Something? No, go go ahead. Yep. The other event that's happening this month that I would love to tell you about is the fabulous Upside and Shine Conference. These conferences have been taking place all over the UK for the last year, and they really, really are superb. I went to the last one in Forest Row and spoke about Hope Sussex and had a wonderful time. Uh, this month it's taking place in East Sussex. It's a jam-packed three-day uh, conference full of speakers, workshops, food stalls, skincare, clothing stalls, um, they're singing from the Voices of Freedom Choir, which is the choir I set up with Josephine Davies last month, and Rebecca Bleek's uh, Freedom Choir Network Choir, both who joined forces last Saturday and recorded a few songs. Uh, these songs will be taught, and anyone who wants to join in and have a sing-song can do. And in the evening, there'll be some live music and entertainment, and the uh, one and only DJ Mark Devlin will be playing. There's the ability to camp if you want to. Um, the weekend ticket is unbelievably cheap at £65 for the three days or it's £25 for a day. So please grab your tickets and hopefully I will see you there. Um, okay, well, let's uh, move on, Kitty Joe. And uh, a bit of disturbing news, perhaps. Uh, Danny Glass, who's the, uh, how do we describe him? The, the, uh, the founder? The founder, of, creator founder, yes. of Alpha Men Assemble. Right. And, yeah, uh, I've been talking to Danny Glass this morning. Okay, and uh, of course they have been supporting you with your uh, your education project as well. So, uh, but he has been receiving visits from the police. Yeah, it's worse than that. So I was on the phone to him this morning, and actually we lost reception because he's on he's on his way up to um, Birmingham. 
but uh, I couldn't get hold of him. So I was running a bit late this morning with this story. And it turns out that actually it was his work that had phoned him and he's now actually lost his job now because he missed work due to the arrest, um, the, the, the being held in custody and the fact that he had to look after his mum and girlfriend after this awful ordeal. So couldn't go back to work for a couple of days. So he's actually lost his job now as well. So actually what happened was in the early hours of Thursday morning, Danny uh, Gloss from the Alpha Men Assemble received a text at 3 a.m. from his neighbour. Danny had been staying with his mum to look after her as she's uh, poorly with CPOD and asthma and other health conditions. So he's been staying with her, with his beloved dog, and his girlfriend has been staying at their house with her brother, thankfully. She hasn't been staying there on her own. The text he received at 3 a.m. was to inform him that his house was being raided by armed police. They were, in fact, MI6 and counter-terrorism police. Danny's girlfriend, as you can imagine, is still extremely shook up, and I'm just so pleased she wasn't on her own when the raid happened. They did have a warrant, which I have seen. His girlfriend texted a photo of it, him, of it straight away to him. The reason for the raid was suspected possession of a large crossbow that has the capacity to automatically load with six-inch darts, two smaller single-shot handheld crossbows, knives, either Bowie or Rambo, or zombie swords, in appearance that are being stockpiled. Um, other offensive weapons not covered above is what it said. Also any, any electronic devices, storage, any communication data that forms part of the conspiracy, any documents that hold a specific target or targets or plan for the weapons they are stockpiling. Now to get a warrant, uh, they have to go to Crown Pros Prosecution to get uh, permission with some evidence um, of this suspicion. And they wouldn't have had any. So one wonders how on earth they actually got the warrant in the first place. Also, Danny hadn't been at his house for a couple of weeks, so they clearly hadn't done any surveillance on him whatsoever, which is all incredibly weird. The, on the warrant, you can see there's the valid for one month um, part in the sentence, and that's actually been crossed out and changed to three, which means that it would allow them, with the date that's on the warrant, to actually continue with the, with the raid. So it's, it's, you know, it's all very, very odd. I don't know if that's something that they can just do. Um, the only weapons Danny has and that Danny has ever had are a Victorian police truncheon that belonged to his dad. This is what they found. And a four inch lock knife that he's had for years. That was it. The man is so far from the picture they paint of him, this army thug um, in the press. And the Alpha Men Assemble are peaceful and always have been right from the start. And they've been trying really hard to work with the police and trying to get the police to help them. So um, Danny phoned the non-emergency police number, 101, and asked them what was going on and told them that he was at his mum's. So when the knock at the door came, he was obviously expecting them to turn up there. He said to his mum, just let me get it, otherwise they're going to barge you out the way. I'm just going to put the dog in the living room. But by the time he'd finished that sentence, they'd smashed the back door down. Um, and dragged him outside. Um, they were roughing him up, um, yelling at him, stop resisting, whereas his mum was obviously incredibly distressed and was saying, he's not, he's not resisting, which he wasn't. Um, and at this point, his mum started to have an asthma attack. Uh, they ransacked his mum's house, um, going through all her belongings, which was an awful experience for her, as you can imagine. And this was all done without a warrant. They didn't have a warrant of, on his mum's house at all. Um, the police officers picked him up by his hands 
and dislocated his shoulder. Um, it's an old injury, Danny said, and it popped back in fine, but it was still incredibly painful and just completely unnecessarily and totally outrageous behaviour. Um, this is how they're treating an innocent man whose only goal is to help and protect children. Just need to say that. Uh, they threw him in the van and were provoking him with taunts like, look at your poor mum, why are you doing this to her? And what are you still living at home with your mum for? Um, in the interview, all they really wanted to talk about and all they wanted to question Danny about was the Alpha Men Assemble. Um, Danny said to them, you can have my phone. I have nothing to hide. I will give you complete access to it. But I really, really need it back because I need to contact my mum, my girlfriend, it, you know, my work, everything's on there. Um, so they did that. They did give it back to Danny um, when they released him 14 hours later. Um, he was told in the interview that they were also um, raiding two other addresses as well that night, um, two of, of which Danny had no clue who they were. Um, and he did, he said, regrettably lose it when he was in there, um, on, understandably so, out of the injustice of it all. Uh, he said to them, if you wanted to question me about the Alpha Men Assemble and you just wanted to talk, then you could have just asked me to come in. You know, this is absolutely disgraceful behaviour. And he said they, they terminated the interview, apparently looking rather embarrassed. Um, so Danny's lost his job. He's gone through this awful, awful ordeal. His mum has been traumatised and his girlfriend is so traumatised that she won't go back to their house now. Um, so this is where we're at. This is, where, this is how the police are behaving. It's, uh, it's deeply, deeply disturbing. I just wanted to share that with you guys this morning. Well, say, so Katie Joe, thank you for that really excellent report. It is, it's truly astonishing and it's deeply unpleasant that we've come to this stage in the UK. But of course, we've seen all this building and Mike, you've been talking about the fact that all these agencies can act outside of the law if yes. it suits them. But what you're describing are all the typical bully boy thug techniques. You break the door down, you cause damage, you're stressing people. Um, the psychological attack, you know, why are you living with your mum? Look what you've done to your mum. These are all taught tactics and they tell us that, that this, this venomous system is at, at the heart of the UK government. And of course, it's ultimately politicians who have approved this behaviour. So if we're looking for who's ultimately um, culpable, we should look no further than uh, our politicians in Westminster because they have brought this uh, skewed legislation into practice. Uh, Kitty Joe, do you know if he's been released without charge or is there any bail conditions or anything like that applied at this point? Absolutely released without charge. They, haven't, they had absolutely nothing on him. Okay. Okay, thank yeah. you for that. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to another form of intimidation then. And uh, well, of course, last week, uh, the news came out that uh, PayPal had decided to uh, cancel without any notice, uh, Mint Press's PayPal account. Uh, and then yesterday, PayPal did the same with Consortium News. Um, so David, it's pretty clear now that uh, uh, there is an effort to move um, to deplatform uh, any counter narrative organization, uh, make sure that uh, they cannot uh, access any funding um, this is uh, going to arrive with us all, I think, at some point. Um, but this is uh, just the next 
uh, stage now that uh, social media platforms uh, have become so efficient at it, perhaps? Well, we got, the, we got a clue in uh, Canada as to how this was to operate because we had a mass movement. We had mass support for the convoy and uh, the move to uh, eliminate any source of funding by, by basically seizing the funds or interrupting the funds through the banking system, through any internet alternative banking system, um, and through the uh, corrupt courts. And uh, they were successful, at least in the short term, in doing that. And it was a sign of what we can all expect in the years to come. Indeed. Okay, well, just a little comment really on the good old BBC, because um, when I was searching online this morning, uh, preparing for UK Column News, my eye was caught by Paris riots. Now, I was socialising with the family over the weekend, so I was interested in this because uh, there appeared to be a headline from The Sun talking about riots in Paris uh, over the weekend. Um, but when I went looking on the BBC, I just couldn't find anything. So this is a report from The Sun. So uh, this says at the bottom, April the 25th, 2022, streets of rage, riot cops, charge protesters and violence erupts on the streets of Paris after Macron is re-elected, defeating Marine Le Pen. Um, but um, it appeared it didn't appear on the BBC. So if this is my lack of search ability on the Internet, please let me know. Otherwise, I'm just going to bring up the fact that a year ago, uh, we tackled Tim Davey, the Director General of the BBC, because the BBC simply didn't report that there was about half a million, possibly three quarters of a million of people on the streets on the Saturday, the 24th of April, 2021. And the BBC simply did not report it. So if you want to know where the old Soviet is, it's now alive and well in UK. In UK. So where did the Soviet Union go? It moved across into the city of London and our political arena in UK. Um, David, uh, let's move on to climate change. And uh, the headline here uh, from Yahoo News is that Northern Ireland faces a loss of one million sheep and cattle to meet climate targets. Now, just before you, you get into this, I'm quite amused by the headline because, in a sense because uh, you know, there, there is the issue at the moment of uh, uh, nitrogen fertilizer and a lack of a lack of it and the cost of it going through the roof in any case, if it can be got at all. Um, and uh, the suggestion coming from the green movement that perhaps uh, farmers might like to move to natural fertilizer. And in fact, if they were to do that, uh, they would need not only the one million sheep and cattle uh, to provide that uh, uh, natural fertilizer, but something in the region of two billion chi two billion chickens in the UK, uh, plus a significant number of pigs as well. So, so I'm not quite sure how this fits. There seems to be a bit of uh, a problem with the uh, climate change narrative at the moment. Oh, there are many problems, Mike, with the climate change narrative. This is just one of them. Um, so Yahoo News uh, they continue uh, with um, some detail here, quoting the Guardian. Uh, they say about a third of human-caused methane emissions comes from livestock, mostly from burps and manure, or fertiliser, as you are otherwise knowing. Um, analysis by KPMG, because who, who are you going to call if not KPMG, uh, commissioned by industry representatives, including the Ulster Farmers Union, estimates that 500,000 cattle and 700,000 sheep would need to be lost in order for Northern Ireland 
to meet its new climate targets. And this, of course, means a hungrier, poorer world. And of course, fewer animals, uh, a, a world devoid of animals, courtesy of the green movement. Um, uh, now, this uh, takes us to just how reliable is the green movement and the narrative to do with global warming. And it transpires, as you see, more and more often it is not reliable in the slightest. Here we have the Daily Skeptic. Uh, Met Office changed global temperature records to add 14% to global warming, says climate scientists. And the cartoon here is welcome to the adjuster scene. You just won't know what temperature it is. Uh, and we have a graph showing the adjustment. So you see recently they're adjusting it up to the warm side. And if you go back to the 1920s and 30s, which was very warm, they're adjusting it to the cool side. All of this is to increase the apparent uh, global warming to justify a narrative that no longer is supported by any data uh, pretty much at all. Um, so the Daily Skeptic continues. Uh, satellite data show global warming started to run out of steam two decades ago, uh, but the UK Met Office record of surface temperatures from 1975 was boosted by 14% at the end of 2020. At the same time, the period of 1880 to 75 was cooled. The move accentuates the, the rise in global temperature uh, that forms the basis for much of the current hysteria. And it goes on to say that basically, uh, it's basically a third of what's currently claimed uh, by way of global um, temperature increase is in fact just the manipulation of the figures. Uh, we have another graph here to give lie to the, the, uh, the global warming narrative. This is snow cover in the Northern Hemisphere in square kilometers. And you see here, from 1972 to 2022, a steady heartbeat and no long-term trend whatsoever. The blue line is a 53-week average. It's doing nothing. There is basically no significant change in the climate, despite all of the hype. Uh, the other hype, and we had this just recently in Scotland, the big maps were shown of how much of Scotland was going to disappear underwater by 2030. By 2030? Right, so there's huge areas coloured in red and there was lots of scare stories being run because, well, sea level rise. Shall we have a look at sea level rise? Um, and this is the data from um, the observatory in Newland um, in uh, Cornwall. And we see here the monthly mean sea level from about 1910 up to the current date. And we see it's increasing at a prestigious one point. 83 millimetres per year and has been for the last century with no change, if anything, probably a slight flattening out, although there is an attempt you might spot there to try and pick a particularly low year and a particularly high year and argue that these rates going up, but it clearly hasn't. Uh, there is nothing to worry about in, uh, in global warming um, land. So we're going to keep looking at this and, and in, in increasing detail because this is the narrative that has been used to enslave and it's a narrative like so many of them based on falsehood, uh, fake science and spin. Okay, thanks for that, David. Uh, now let's move on to justice in the UK um, and, uh, well, the magistrates' courts uh, because the magistrates have uh, been given new powers uh, today. And the rate, why? Because, of course, there's such a backlog in the courts at the moment. And why is there a backlog in the courts at the moment? Well, let's just all say COVID, uh, because that's the main reason. So magistrates will be able to issue jail sentences of up to one year 
for a single offence to help ease the backlog uh, in the Crown Court as from today. Uh, and the government saying this is the latest step to tackle the impact on the, of the pandemic on the criminal justice system and is expected to free up around 1,700 extra days of Crown Court time each year. So previously, magistrates were only able to issue a maximum sentence of six months, uh, despite often hearing cases uh, that might otherwise have warranted a longer jail term. And this will allow more cases to be sentenced in the magistrate courts, meaning Crown Courts can focus resources on getting through more serious, complicated cases, because if, if uh, uh, the sentence was likely to be more than six months, well, the magistrate might have found a guilty verdict, but that had then to go to the Crown Court to get the sentencing itself. Um, so uh, I just want to remind everybody what it uh, takes to be a magistrate in the UK. So here's the Magistrates Association becoming a magistrate. Uh, and here's the quote, what training do I need to be a magistrate? Magistrates do not need any specific legal training, nor do they sit exams. Instead, they undergo mandatory training of about three and a half days before sitting in court. Sorry, I just said it again, three and a half days before sitting in court and will be allocated a member, uh, sorry, a mentor uh, for their first year. After a magistrate has sat for 12 months, they will be regularly appraised for, by specially trained magistrates. Uh, they're also expected to keep their knowledge up to date and to intend, attend ongoing training sessions. So look, uh, magistrates, Brian, I'm going to say magistrates serve a purpose, uh, but when the purpose is being expanded to include, um, you know, sentences of up to a year, this is perhaps beyond their authority. Uh, and really, uh, the excuse of COVID and, uh, uh, and so on and backlogs is, is not really justification for it. Uh, no, the key bit is, of course, that the magistrate's controlled by the barrister that's normally sat there in court uh, to monitor the procedures. I remember some months ago I asked a magistrate about common law. They had never heard of common law, were puzzled at some of the questions, uh, but did promise me they would go and look it up. But training of three and a half days, probably marginally better than the training the Ukrainians are going to get on the weapon systems. Uh, yes, indeed. Okay, let's uh, move back to Katie Joe then. Katie Joe, uh, you wanted to cover a little bit on the uh, upcoming metaverse. The metaverse, it's not actually upcoming, it's here, scarily. And it's, it's my worst nightmare. I can honestly say I, I hate video games anyway, but the, uh, and I'm not a lover of technology, but the, 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 the virtual reality, especially in homes, makes me feel very anxious and uneasy. Um, so the metaverse brings a whole new meaning to virtual reality. It's a gaming and socializing um, way of, of, of being completely immersive, even though you're not there, and your brain actually is convinced that it's reality. Um, you can take part in computer games, you can be in a virtual chat room, you can be anywhere you like in the world without having to leave your front door. Funny how um, so many people um, are comfortable with that now since the lockdown. There is ha uh, haptic clothing you can wear, which means that you can actually feel if you are touched or hit. Um, and most worryingly of all, there is a software that allows you to download images of someone of any age into the metaverse. That person becomes an animated person or avatar and what often happens is they will have um, simulated sex with this person. This way of socializing and gaming is more common than you would think and becoming increasingly popular by the day. The metaverse is a term coined by science fiction author Neil Stevenson in his book Snow Crash. 
it was a digital playground in the book where people were limited only by their imagination. And now Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, is trying to make the metaverse a reality and has changed Facebook's name to Meta. So Facebook, as we know, is brilliant at shutting down pages, spreading false information. They have algorithms that identify certain images and words in memes and photos causing automatic suspension to anyone who posts them. I'm sure nearly everyone watching today, if you're actively on Facebook, you've had a ban at least once over the last two years. Um, yet with all this fact-checking and censorship, they haven't been able to stop paedophiles, traffickers and sex offenders from exploiting the social media platform. You criticise vaccines and mainstream narrative, post the truth and you are immediately barred and flagged while criminals are allowed to continue unnoticed. They aren't just slipping through Facebook's many security measures to stop these criminals and paedophiles. Facebook are allowing them. Facebook lets them. And this is why the meta should be of huge concern for everyone. In 2020, a study published by the Tech Transparency Project found that more than 300 cases of child exploitation went unnoticed on Facebook. So I've been, not that I'm bothered, as I say, I've been banned from Facebook and completely deleted for sharing facts and truth about COVID and vaccines, and yet inappropriate, disturbing sexual images of children are being shared. And in 2016, when the BBC uncovered several groups for paedophiles on there, were alert there and they alerted Facebook, the page was not removed and only four of 20 photos that were reported were actually deleted. According to CBC, CBS News and the police, up to 100,000 minors are sex trafficked in the United States each year. In 2019, nearly 40% of these minors met their traffickers online, and it's happening in the metaverse right now. An article in The Mirror last month by Matt Roper explains just how vile this world can be. 1.45pm in a virtual chat room, a man using a cartoonish avatar who is chatting with another character who is obviously a young girl. He follows her around before convincing her to join him in a private world where others can't see or hear them. He creates a portal and they disappear inside together. Another young teen is standing on the roof of a tall building and a male user using a monkey avatar taunts her from below shouting jump, jump. He later gets other young users together and teaches them life lessons and writes the message, kill yourself. This is all happening in one of the most popular chat room apps. The Oculus app was the most popular on Apple's app store over Christmas with 1.3 million downloads worldwide and is owned by Meta, formerly known as Facebook. There were children much younger than the age limit of 13 and they were all witness shocking scenes. Racist, homophobic and misogynistic language, bullying and threats, explicitly sexual conversation and abusive behaviour, including simulated sex, virtual sexual harassment and masturbation. Children were also regularly exposed to graphic sexual content and pornography. And only last month, the manager of community development at Meta, Meta was caught in an amateur paedophile sex sting, um, ring sting, where he was accused and admitted to grooming and trying to lure a 13-year-old boy to his hotel room. Now, it's no surprise, I don't think, that he's an LGBTQ 
few activists and serves on the board of directors for Equality California. So how do we keep our children safe in the metaverse? My answer would be to, to just not let them on it full stop. It's simple. There is absolutely no benefit to their development or their well-being whatsoever. But you can guess what culture Secretary Nadine Doris mentioned last year. The UK's forthcoming online safety bill would be, would be able to cover this technology. Of course it will. And parents will be so relieved that their children can be lost in this safe virtual reality. They are predicting that in the not too distant future, children will be spending up to three hours in the metaverse per day. Now, Carol Vorderman was on the Jeremy Vine show 10 days ago, um, talking about her concerns and about the lack of safeguarding in the metaverse. I, I struggle to watch Jeremy Vine. He actually makes my blood boil. And in this interview, he is no different. Um, so after hearing Carol voice her concerns about the danger of this new form of immersive technology that is so unbelievably real, he makes light of this metaverse and shuts Carol down when she's talking about how serious it is and goes on to show a clip of himself playing a game and it's his next words that I found really, really deeply disturbing. So let's watch the clip and you can see what I'm talking about. On the upside, I, did, I, I bought some of these goggles, right? And you've laughed about this constantly since I did it. This is me playing, right? So you can have a look. That's what I can see. <laughs> That's me on my bedroom floor trying to avoid yeah. that bullet. Um, I mean, it, but it, I echo everything Carol says. It, I've only ever done these silly games. It is so yeah. immersive. There are, there's a bullet coming towards me. I've got to move to get out of the way of it. It is so immersive. It is unreal. It's not... I've never done gaming, really, on computers. You look concerned, Andrew. I it's a whole new world that I didn't know about. It's astonishing. Yeah. I mean, you can go... So, to give you an example, you, you get on... Carol will have seen this. You get on these goggles and it, it gives you... It puts you in a lift. You press a button. You actually press it like that. It takes you up to the 36th floor. The doors open. You know this, Carol. And you, there's a plank. It's called Richie's Plank. And you walk out to the end of the plank and you're 36 floors up and you look down and you genuinely believe you're there. Nina, no, come on. This no. would be great, wouldn't it? No, I'd, I'd hate it. I mean, unless you're practising to go on Ant and Dec's Celebrity Jungle thing, in which case <laughs> it's jolly useful, I would have thought. Is there an argument, uh, uh, Carol, that if, the, uh, if this is how these weirdos get their jollies, stick them in a room with a headset on and they're not going to hurt a child? That's the best no. way to keep them out of trouble. This is how these weirdos get their jollies. He's referring to paedophiles as weirdos, and he's referring to their act as jollies. How is this man allowed on the telly? It's utterly outrageous. And if it's that immersive, if it's that real, they're not going to know the difference between being in the metaverse and being out there in the real world, surely. And anyway, you're condoning that behaviour. It's just unbelievable. I could not believe what he was saying. Um, and then I just wanted to finish with the uh, Virgin advert, the Virgin Media advert um, for Vault, um, which obviously all this new technology is going to need a faster service.
Supercharger World with Vault. You can get faster Virgin Media broadband and double O2 mobile data on us. Virgin Media O2. We're better connected. We're better connected, Brian. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm silent because it's it is incredible, and of course BT are fully immersed in in this. Um, they are going to help promote it at every opportunity. I share your concerns, Katie Joe. Yes, absolutely. Uh, David, uh, let's move on to uh, Neil Fraser. Yeah, so this is a, a, a parallel concern. So that's an attack on the experiences that children are going to have and the dangers they're going to be placed um, at, at, at potential harm from. Um, but we've also got an attack on their minds, and this is what this gentleman, a campaigner and journalist, Neil Fraser, is, is speaking about from the Wallace Monument. I'm here at the Wallace Monument, a symbol of freedom, using what's left of my free speech to draw a line under the gender-bending, anti-science, pro-fantasy society the SNP have adopted for Scotland and its citizenship, like many other countries around the globe. You might not like what I've got to say here, but it's the truth. Sometimes it hurts, but the truth ultimately sets you free. There are only two sexes. There are only two genders. Any deviation from this fact is an attempt to deceive, an attempt to make you believe the unbelievable, an attempt to make you disregard the fundamental laws of nature. Scotland isn't the only place in the world facing this psychological assault, but we can be the first to defeat the wicked practice of confusing innocent children, the wicked practice of taking advantage of young impressionable minds. Convincing innocent children that they're born in the wrong body is diabolical. Watching anyone watching this that's considering transitioning, which means mutilating yourself physically or chemically in order to appear more like the other sex needs urgent help. If you're in this situation, do not transition. Don't do it because you can't go back if you regret the decision. It's utterly despicable. We've got politicians in this country, in the ancient country of ours, pr openly promoting dangerous unreality. It goes to show just how far we've plunged as a society. Nobody seems to have grasped just how serious, how grave this situation actually is. So to visualise what the SNP and the Greens are doing to us, I've brought along my old biology textbook. This is what the fascist SNP are doing. This is what the pushers of gender theory are doing. They're setting fire to a millennia of knowledge and replacing it with delusion. It's time for Scots to wake up, otherwise the children of Scotland will have no future. Um, didn't he say that well? And, and just like the, the previous uh, piece from Katie, dangerous unrealities what he sees and he called it out as a diabolical psychological assault, which is indeed what it is. Um, just to illustrate how 
rapidly this is progressing. We have here uh, we have here a map from the United States that shows the number of pediatric gender clinics uh, going from two in 2007 to however many are on the map in 2022. So this has been a transformation in the medical treatment of children and the medicalization of distress um, at an unprecedented rate. Um, uh, the next uh, issue I want to cover uh, is uh, a little update on the Notre Dame person campaign, um, which uh, is, well, is still is still actually ongoing because the the underlying policy has never really gone away. So we have here um, the an article from from Ben Borland in the Scottish Daily Express. Name persons still not replaced as the SNP's zombie state snooper policy refuses to die. So this is six years after the Orwellian scheme was ruled unlawful by the UK Supreme Court and three years after John Swinney finally accepted defeat. Um, ben Boland continues, uh, he hasn't, uh, John Swinney hasn't published data sharing guidance it's supposed to replace the SNP's hated name persons legislation. Um, and campaigners have warned that uh, when that guidance does come out, if it doesn't comply uh, with the law, that uh, Mr. Swinney will face further uh, legal challenges. David, so can any, I just can I just to... interrupt a second there? Why why does it have to wait for his guidance to come out before the there would be a fresh legal challenge? If it's been three years since the uh, Supreme Court uh, decided that this was unlawful, why is the Scottish government still pursuing it? I'll I'll get to that, Mike. Um, it's it's a bit vague, right? Because it is pursuing it and it's not pursuing it. This is this is the 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 basis of the policy is is being neither one thing nor the other. Uh, it's a bit it's a bit queer, really. Um, so we have here um, a shot here of uh, the the noble campaigners. This is uh, Alison Price, Leslie Scott, and uh, Stuart Waiton. Uh, of the Notre Dame person campaign. Uh, they given evidence uh, a, a little while ago at the Scottish Parliament. Uh, there's a com they, there's, they have a petition into the Parliament's Petitions Committee to uh, have an investigation into the ongoing harm that's been caused to families in Scotland by unwanted state intervention. Um, and uh, the Daily Express continues um, that the Scottish Government uh, is going to work on a refreshed package of information sharing practices. This was supposed to be published by the end of 2020. In February 21, the Deputy First Minister told MSPs that the guidance had been delayed by the COVID pandemic and indicated it would be finalised later in that year. That hasn't happened. An update to Holyrood's Education uh, Committee states, as yet the guidance has not been published. The committee is invited to write to the Cabinet Secretary and ask for an update on timescales. Uh, so Alison Price, uh, speaking to the Scottish Daily Express, um, she said um, that uh, they are just ignoring the Supreme Court ruling. It's a case of cover your eyes and ears and hope it will just go away, uh, whilst uh, we do what we are going to do anyway. Name person was just an additional job title that was given to senior teachers and social workers. The job title may have gone, but the job description itself has not changed at all. And the message is still that the state knows best for your family. People who have been kicked, who have kicked back against it have been victimised as a result as well-being issues are escalated to welfare issues. 
The pandemic has exacerbated the problems in families who don't toe the line are now at greater risk of being targeted. The policy has never gone away. This is what they want uh, to do, and people are just going to be told to suck it up and get on with it, despite the Supreme Court ruling. Now, is Alison Price correct? Well, here we have a BBC article from September 2019, name person scheme scrapped by Scottish government. And the BBC were reporting the Scottish government scrapped its controversial plan to appoint a named person to safeguard the welfare of every child. The welfare, it was, it, the BBC even got it wrong there. It was, it was well-being, it was never welfare. To safeguard the welfare, incorrect, of every child in the country, the scheme was branded a snooper's charter by opponents and was due to be introduced three years ago. It was delayed when the Supreme Court ruled that part of the plan breached human rights, education, John, education Secretary John Swinney has now confirmed that he will withdraw the named person legislation. But a month after that, 31st of October, interesting date, 2019, uh, in the voice of Scotland's voluntary sector, the Third Force News. So this is not to a, a magazine which is read by the public. This is a magazine that is read by the people who deliver services in Scotland. Swinney, named person, has not been scrapped. Deputy First Minister tells Third Force News that Gurfet continues to be the heart of Scotland's approach to supporting children and families. The Scottish Government's named person scheme has not been scrapped, but will instead continue as an approach within existing legislation. Uh, so it, it continues, the government's commitment to Gurfec is undiminished. I am determined to ensure that families can get help where they need it. Uh, this is why I've announced the in-person approach will continue with uh, as an approach, which is now well embedded and can be delivered within, within existing legislation in partnership with parents. It's a way of working, he says. It's a way of collaborating, and that includes across the public and third sectors, which is absolutely critical. So, Mike, to answer your excellent question, when the Supreme Court comes calling, the Supreme Court struck down the legislation. The Scottish Government have not, have not introduced the legislation, so the Scottish Government have complied with the Supreme Court ruling. But the actual on-the-ground interference with families continues. It's now not legislative. It has no law backing it at all. It's just an approach. But it's an approach pushed by the Scottish Government, who are ultimately the paymasters for the entire public sector for virtually the entire third sector and via contract a very substantial part of the private sector. They're using their, their economic might, courtesy of the taxpayer, to force through um, an approach that they cannot commit to legislation because it is unlawful. What do you think of that, Mike? I think that uh, the Scottish, judge, uh, Scottish government is probably finds itself on the wrong side of the law here and uh, it needs to be uh, challenged quite sternly. Uh, I mean, I think the, named, the no to name persons uh, 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 campaign did an excellent job in getting it to the Supreme Court. Uh, they obviously need significant support to, uh, to move it forward from that point. Yes, well, this is where it comes down to ultimately the people realising what's been done to them, getting the information out and encouraging people to, to push back and to resist and not to uh, let people be isolated because the, the difference between a group of people challenging authority and one parent or one family being up against um, 
you know, a, an array of professionals who are threatening to, to take their child away, it's quite, it's quite a different scenario. When there are many of you, all of a sudden the, uh, the direction of the pressure um, switches around surprisingly rapidly. So a lot of this is about people getting to know one another and uh, working together and um, standing up for what's right against the state that, that has forgotten, uh, if it ever knew, uh, the difference between right and wrong and the difference between a parent's love and the interest of a professional. Yes. Yeah, I'd just add to that, um, David, that the, uh, the use of the word collaboration by the state is so important because, of course, what they are doing is building these collaborative or partnership um, systems whereby um, the ability to see what is happening by looking at one individual department goes out the window. And of course, we highlighted many years ago the MAPA system uh, across England and Wales, the multi-agency public protection arrangement, 63 cells that were, were enabling uh, a partnership organisation to take information from the police, from a a school, from a local hospital, uh, from the fire service, anywhere that information came in, it was logged against a particular individual. So understanding that the partnership working, the collaborative way of working is one of the key dangers is, is very important if you're going to work to disassemble what these government agencies are doing. Okay, David, we've got to uh, end in a second, but uh, let's end with this one in Newsweek, an opinion piece uh, entitled The New Homophobia. Yes, a really interesting piece here, uh, written by Ben Appel, um, uh, who is uh, a gay man, and he's um, writing about the new homophobia. Uh, and he writes, it's, uh, there's a frightening new version of homophobia pervading the United States disguised of all things as LGBTQ activism. For gay, if adult gay people like me, it is clear this activism does not advance our equality, but in fact compromises our ability to live peacefully in society. In fact, it's threatening our very existence. I first became aware of this new homophobia in the summer of 2017, when I interned at a major LGBTQ rights organization. That January, I'd enrolled at Columbia University to complete my undergraduate degree, a goal I've been postponing for over a decade. After volunteering for Maryland's marriage equality campaign and the subsequent transgender rights legislation campaign, my aspiration was to become a social justice writer and activist. My excitement about the internship quickly gave way to a nauseating mixture of fear and shame. I was, I, was, I quickly learned, not the right kind of queer. I was just another cis, short for cisgender, a word I'd never heard until it was assigned to me, typically as a slur, gay male. In other words, a privileged and unevolved relic of the past. After all, I had my rights, the right to marry, the right to serve openly in the military, the right to assimilate into the oppressive, cis-heteronormative, patriarchal society. It was time to make way for the new generation of queer, one that has very little to do with sex-based rights, and more to do with abolishing the concept of sex and sexuality altogether. At the time, I was exhausting so much mental energy memorising my co-workers' pronouns and all of the new progressive dogmas out of fear that I would be fiercely condemned if I slipped up. I had uh, none left to think critically to question whether any of these dogmas had even come from. Thankfully, somewhat serendipitously, um, the following semester, I enrolled in a class 
called U.S. Lesbian and Gay History, led by the prominent gay historian George Chauncey. Um, it was there that, uh, uh, that the culture I had encountered at my internship, and of course on Columbia's uber-progressive and exceedingly queer campus, began to make sense. In that class, I learned about queer theory, an obscure academic discipline based largely on the writing of late French intellectual um, Michel Foucault, who believed that society categorizes people, male or female, heterosexual or homosexual, in order to oppress them. The solution is to intentionally blur or queer the boundaries of these categories. Soon this queering became the predominant method of discussing and analyzing gender and sexuality in universities. Today, the least accepting spaces for people like me are of all places the halls of LGBT rights organizations uh, where the threat might not be violence, but it's nevertheless the terrible stigmatization and shame. Speaking recently about these issues with an LGBT mental health specialist, one amongst many who has serious concerns about the hastiness of medical transition for youth in the US, it struck me that if radical activists can convince enough people that biological sex is a farce, that trans women and women and trans men are men, then the path to full erasure of gender role non-conforming gay people will be fully paved. Um, so th I thought that was a tremendous article. This is a man completely op opposing uh, political views from my own, but he's realized uh, what we've been talking about many times in the column that the people who are uh, allied to this movement uh, will find themselves eventually its victims. It will come for you too. So here you see that it's now coming, it's come for the lesbians, it's now coming for the gay men. It will come for everybody. It's an ideology that is ultimately against human thriving. It will come for everything. Yes, okay. Thank you very much for that. I think we've got to leave it there, David. Uh, but before we uh, go, we have, uh, well, we'll play out with a, a very short video clip. Do you just want to tell us about it before we uh, give our final remarks? Uh, well, this is this is a little video clip uh, from an, uh, a comedy club. It's uh, a song, an extract from a song by Dominic Frisby, uh, who's uh, a, 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 a now, I think, quite famous and certainly very excellent uh, comedian, songwriter and, and uh, commentator and columnist. And uh, he's got a song here called Maybe. We'll talk about it at length in extra time and we'll play the whole thing. But this is a little bit... Um, looking at one of our political leaders and asking if there's more than one way uh, to look at his qualities. Okay, so we'll play that out just, just if we finish, then we'll play that out. Right, okay. Well, we've covered a lot of material in the uh, news today. Uh, I know that some, some people feel that the, the amount of coverage on Ukraine is a lot. Um, indeed, we feel that we still have to fully uh, cover Ukraine because of the implications of, of that disastrous war. Uh, we're already suffering from fuel uh, shortages, price increases as a result of it. But of course, Liz Truss openly declaring this is all about making a global NATO read for that. This is the embryonic one world army, which means the only enemy uh, is the people of the world themselves. Mm. So Ukraine is an immensely important subject and we don't make any apologies for dealing with it in detail. And we're going to do our best to uh, get more out of the detail of what's happening in Ukraine on the ground. But uh, also these other subjects coming in, which Katie Joe's covered extremely well and yourself, David, 
we can see that this is an attack certainly on our children and certainly on the minds of adult men and women. And uh, we need to identify it as an attack and we need to root out the people who are driving these policies. And again, I'm going to say we must come straight back to Westminster because our very own MPs are the people voting through the legislation, which is causing us the problems in the first place. So hold those MPs to account. We'll end it there. Thanks for joining us. They said he had charisma and a bumbling appeal. The toff who has the common touch as well as strong ideals. Behind the clown exterior lies a serious intellect whose destiny is to rule us. Another Churchill in effect, he'd save us with this principled free marketeer. So it did appear. <laughs> Maybe Boris Johnson's not that good. Just does whatever advisors say he should. Endless flip-flops from this vainglorious fop. State planning and spending ballooning. This power whore like a Labrador without the loyalty or the grooming. Maybe Boris Johnson's not.